in the midst of a journey that we're on to go from looking like the world to looking like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, Paul says that, we're, we, that, that all things work together for good. I love that. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called, in, called according to his purposes. Right? Why? Because and he says in that next passage in Romans that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. That when we love God and we, when we hold everything that happens in our life before him and say, God, this, you fix it. It's your problem, not my problem. And, and, and he wants to take that on. You know that God has a problem with us saying, no, I've got this one. He goes, no, you don't. You're going to mess it up. And that just applies to about to everything in our lives. He says, let me take it, and in the midst of that, I will use all of these things to conform you to the image of my son, Jesus. I want to look more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus, where the home is a place where, where, where we can be shaped and molded, a safe place. It should be a safe place, where young and old can be corrected and taught and trained in the ways of the Lord, so that we end up looking more like Jesus. I used the picture of a greenhouse, the analogy of a greenhouse that's built and established to create a controlled environment where plants can can flourish. You can plant a garden outside, but you're subject and, 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 and uh, really, what's the word I'm looking for? You're subject to the, the weather that's taking place outdoors, and you can't control it, right? We can't control the weather, which is why we have a drought. Uh, we could say, hey, rain, let's do this thing. Let's get some more rain going. No, we can't do that. But in a greenhouse, you have more control. It's this environment where you can introduce water, you can create, control the temperature, you can control the soil, and every, so that the plants can grow and thrive. And God says, I've given the family and the home as a greenhouse of sorts, where spiritually people can thrive and grow in the Lord, the way that the home is designed to function when the home is functioning properly, it has tremendous power for good. Tremendous power for good. People grow, fruit is produced, it's amazing, we love it. But when the, when the home and the family is not functioning well, listen to this church, it becomes immeasurably destructive. When the home does not function and family doesn't function and marriage doesn't function and children and parents don't function as God has designed, the damage can, can extend for generations. Counseling, visiting people, you know, sitting on a couch, having to tell someone about your mom and your dad, right? It's kind of the joke in, in you know, psych, psychiatry or in counseling is, well, tell me about your mom and your dad. And, it's, and, and we use it as a joke, but it's not because the truth is those relationships shape who we are and can have such destructive force in our lives that we might not even be aware of. And God says, I've designed family. My design, it's my idea of designed it to function and, 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 and perform a certain way so that people are built up and not torn down and, dis and destroyed. Excuse me. Secular psychologists use the term dysfunctional. Dysfunctional family or dysfunctional home. We had to get away from the, the use of the word normal, right? Because what is normal? In normal, you have to have a baseline, and every family is different. Every person is different. And so they use the word dysfunctional. 
excuse me, dysfunctional home or a family, being, uh, the idea being linked to, to disorders, right? If you grow up in a dysfunctional home, you might end up with something called a disorder, right? A, a dis- detachment disorder or a traumatic disorder, some kind of disorder. It paints this picture. Disorder is a, is a state of confusion or disruption to the normalcy or, or functionality of life, a disup- disruption uh, to law or peaceful living, in society would be a disorder. And of course, disorder is the opposite of the, the word order. Now, God has established order in the universe. James chapter 3, in fact, three passages we'll be looking at today. James chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 14, and Ephesians 5, if you want to open your Bible to that. Really, Ephesians 5 is where we'll spend a lot of our time. James 3 and Ephesians 5. James three thirteen through 18 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor better envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You see the theme of Scripture here? It sounds a lot like 2 Timothy, doesn't it? Such wisdom, in quotes, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Oh, that is a deep passage of Scripture. We could spend a lot of time here. Notice a couple of things with me. Humility versus selfishness. When we read in 2 Timothy, the theme there was things are going to fall apart, but basically because people will be selfish. Lovers of self, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. That is a disorder. When your life is centered on just you, there, that is a disorder. That is not something that the Lord would say, I'm pleased with. He says that humility is really the place where, where that, that wisdom is imparted. It's when we serve out of humility, when we give, when we, we treat others better than ourselves when we look for their needs, not just for our own. Humility that says, I don't have the answers, I need to seek the Lord. Wisdom that comes down from where? From heaven. I can't manufacture it, I can't produce it, I can't come up with it on my own. Notice the the idea of denying truth versus embracing truth. Again, another theme that we've seen already this morning. See, there's people who start thinking of just about themselves, and in the midst of it, you can't be selfish and live a truthful life. And so you have to start denying truth in order to justify the way you live. There's no other way around it. Wisdom that comes from heaven that's not man-made. At the end of the day, we don't make the rules. We don't make the rules. God does. He establishes order, 
We have scientists that, that study nature, and, 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 and all we can do is observe, but we can't make the rules. Anyone seen Jurassic World? I have not seen the movie, nor do I care to see the movie. I've never been a dinosaur person, but I figure after the first Jurassic Park, when they figured out it was really a bad idea to bring dinosaurs back to life, the idea that we would then take different types of dinosaurs and mutate them and make one dinosaur, yeah, that's a real good idea. We don't have the answers, and that's a great way that Hollywood illustrates it. If we were left to our own devices, we would just make a mess. We would just make a mess. God says, I've set things in order. Order in creation, order in the church, order in society, order in the home, order in marriage, order in children and parenting. He makes the rules. And all we have to do is say, God, what do you say? And where are things out of order? Where are things dysfunctional? Where is there disorder in my life? Okay, let me bring it into order. And God says, great, there will be blessing there. In fact, we'll talk about that in a second. Where you find envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder. It's plain right there in Scripture. This is illustrated for us every time we get behind the wheel. Right? Especially in Southern California, Megan's folks were visiting from Alaska. They just flew back yesterday. And, and it seemed like every time uh, we got on the freeway, Bill was going, man, look at all the cars. Look at all. Because in Alaska, yeah, there's probably more cars on the 605 freeway or on the 210 freeway at one time than there are in the whole state of Alaska. <laughs> and that's not at rush hour. It's just insane. You don't get to get on behind the wheel of your car and then just drive wherever you want, however you want. Now, they do that in Nairobi, but you can't do that here. And it's crazy. You can't just get behind the wheel of the car and drive wherever you want, drive whatever speed you want, ignore the signals, ignore the stop signs. Right? You will die, and other people will die as well. I got to do a ride-along a few years ago. My, my cousin was a truck driver, and uh, we grew up, our family owned a trucking business in South Africa, grew up around big rigs, and always have, like, even still, like, like I see trucks. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Drive by a truck stop, and I'm, like, looking out the window. Um, and I got to go on a, a ride-along with him, and it was, a, it was a midnight run. We were delivering stuff all over Southern California, and it was fun. We were just having a blast, hanging out, talking. We're, we're driving down... Um, we're driving down the 5 freeway, right close to, to Knott Avenue. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, not a lot of cars on the road. And, and we're doing about 55, 60 miles an hour in this truck. And you're up above everything, you can see everything. And we see coming up the off-ramp a set of headlights directly at us. And, and you figure cars, a truck moving this way and a car moving the opposite direction, the rate of closure pretty fast they're closing in on each other and i can't even describe to you the feeling you know because because you're in a you're in a in a a thousands and thousands of pound vehicle that doesn't maneuver easily and you know this is not going to end well but thankfully this person uh realized the error in their ways and they very quickly made a u-turn and got back off the freeway But that feeling in that moment, there was incredible disorder on the five freeway at that moment. 
And I knew it wasn't going to go well. We know every time we get behind the wheel that there is order. California and the state government and the federal government have imposed laws that say we drive on this side of the road, that there's speed limits. You, you go through a driving test. Why? So that, you, that, people, that the government knows, that the state government knows, that the police know that when you get behind the wheel, you're going to follow the rules. And if you don't follow rules, there's consequences. There's order all around us. And some violations are minor. I forgot that you can't park your car overnight on the street in Glendora. I got my first ticket in Glendora. I was like, oh, come on. Right? Minor. My, it's only been a week. I tell you what, though, I'm not going to forget again. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, there you go. There's, there are minor violations, and then there are gross mi- violations. Where you know, man, there's a wreck on the 210 freeway and everything's backed up because someone uh, made a mistake, that they broke the rules. I I, I signed up for internet service the other day and I got done talking to the guy on the phone. And the last thing he says to me is, okay, well, have a great day. Don't text and drive. And I was like, that was weird. (laughs) But Verizon has this huge campaign, don't text and drive. Why? Because so many people are losing their lives because they're responding to a text message or checking their Facebook. And so we understand if you break the rules, if you get things out of order, it can be disastrous. You might get away with it for a little while, but eventually it catches up with you. We have to understand that God is a God of order. He is absolutely a God of order. And he calls us to be a people of order. 1 Corinthians 14, 32 and 33 says this, Paul writing to the Corinthian church where things are kind of a mess. The church is a bit of a mess. He says to them this, the the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Interesting that he doesn't say order, he says peace. God is not a God of disorder. He is a God of peace. When order is lacking, peace is lacking. If you've ever had a three-year-old in your house, you understand this very clearly. When order is lacking, there is no peace. See, we are created in God's image. Imago Dei. We are created in His image. If God is a God of order, we are created to be a people of order. It's intrinsic. It's in us. We have a need for order. There's a need for us to see that there's order in creation. There is order in creation. What God has created gets it. You don't have to convince a sparrow that there is order. It gets it. It's wired into God's creation. There's order in community, social structure, governments. In fact, God says that we are supposed to be subject to the order, the government. Romans talks about it. Paul addresses that, that we can't just do whatever we want to do, that we actually have to submit ourselves to the, the, the order, the government, the authority that God has put in place. We don't, don't just get to, on a whim, say, I don't want to listen to what you have to say anymore. That there's community order. There's order in the way that we live in community. Order in the church. 
Just like we see here in 1 Corinthians 14, God says that there is order and structure. There is a head, that there's an order to the authority, to the way that we relate with each other, how we use our gifts in the church, that there's order. And there is order in the home. God has designed the home to have order. So Ephesians chapter 4, 5 rather, Ephesians chapter 5. Though Ephesians 4 is good, check that one out as well. Ephesians 5, 21, 6, 21 through chapter 6, verse 4. I want to read this entire passage of Scripture, and we'll talk about this for a few minutes. Starts out, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as, as, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he, him, he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord." Our houses are designed, our families are designed, our marriages are designed to have order. And God has laid out that order for us. Now, I understand right off the bat that there are some, some things that, that Paul writes here that some people have a hard time with. This idea of submission is one in our culture that we struggle with. I don't, I don't submit to anybody. Really, it comes back to what we read before. We're selfish. We live for self, which means if I'm called to submit, I have to give up that selfishness. And so there's a battle that wages within us. I I included that passage in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our idea of submission has become so skewed in our world today. It's seen as weakness or giving up something that rightfully belongs to you. But when we submit to Christ, and we submit to each other, we're basically saying to each other, I'm putting, I'm valuing you beyond, uh, above myself. I'm coming to you out of humility and understanding, you know what, you have a place to speak into my life. When I, when I submit myself to the Lord and his instruction, I'm saying, God, I, I don't have all the answers and I actually need you in my life. 
Last night we got to celebrate with Tom and Deb as they renewed their vows coming up on their 25th wedding anniversary. They stood with each other and renewed their commitment to each other. A A covenant relationship that basically says, I'm here to serve you. It's not about what I can get out of you, it's how I can be a blessing to you. And when we understand that we can submit because I can trust you, I can submit, wives can submit to their husband because they understand that their husband will have their best intention, their best at heart. See, but, but when we remove order, fear comes in and there's a lack of peace because now I can't trust you and I don't want to trust you and I don't believe you have the best. And the enemy gets a foothold and he can start meddling in our homes and in our marriages. Wives, submit to your husbands and husbands, love your wives. The need for order in the home is not about having a tidy house. Can I just say right now, this is not about the cleanliness and the organizational ability you have in your home. That's not what God is addressing here. This is about every person in the home whether it is a a husband and a wife and five kids or a single mom with two kids or a single dad with one kid or if you're just single and living on your own, there's still order. There's God's order. It's about every person understanding and functioning in the role that God has given them. It's about us understanding that we play a role and have a place in the home. And that I cannot function in a role that's not mine to function in. I can't. And sometimes we try and we get it wrong. It's why in in the Psalms, God says that he will be a father to the fatherless. He says there's things, there's gaps that only God can fill. And he will because he's a gracious and he's a loving God. We have to understand in a relationship between a husband and a wife, only a husband can be a husband to his wife, and only a wife can be a wife to her husband. No one else can step in. There's no surrogates, there's no no fill-ins, there's no step-ins, and we get in trouble when we as husbands and wives try to seek affirmation for people outside of our marriage, for people to, to affirm us and speak that life to us to satisfy those places and those needs that we have, that God has said, in my order, the only place that those things can be taken care of is in the confines and in the order of marriage. We get in trouble when we, we bring disorder into our marriage relationship, when we stop respecting and loving each other the way that God has intended for us to. And so it's upon us as as husbands and wives to be able to say, Lord, what are you calling me to as a godly husband? How are you calling me to live as a godly wife? And then to do it. Amen? To do it. Because it's not enough just to have the information. We read in, in 2 Timothy that there's people who are gaining all kinds of knowledge, but it doesn't actually result in anything in their lives. There's no change behavior. We talked about repentance, how, it's, how repentance is how you change the way you think, not just changing your actions. That We have to be transformed in our marriages and how we relate with, with each other. The role of parents to teach and to train their children it, there's no substitute. I remember as a young youth pastor, someone came to me and said, it's your job to train my child in the ways of the Lord. And as a young person, I was like, oh man, 
Yeah. Yeah, and then I did some simple math. That I had, I had a youth group, junior high students, 7th seven, and 8th grade students. We had about 80 kids in our youth group. They were with us on Wednesday nights for an hour and a half and with us for, on Sunday mornings for one hour. Two and a half hours, 80 kids. A good portion of that time was spent playing games, right? You do the math, that means for each kid I had like, you know, 18 seconds. Can I just tell you, I'm not going to train a child in the ways of the Lord in 18 seconds a week. But they live in your house. That as a, as, a, as a mother and a father, that it's our job as parents to train our children in the ways of the Lord. It's not the youth pastor's job. It's not the children's pastor's job. It's not the senior pastor's job. It's the job of the parents. Why? Because it's the order that's been established by the Lord. And when we neglect that, or when we try and shirk that responsibility and give it to someone else, what happens? There is a lack of peace in the home. There's a lack of peace. There's disorder. There is dysfunction. And so we have to make sure that we are training our children. I love that that Paul writes here, he addresses the children. He says, children, obey your parents. You notice that he doesn't say, parents, make your children obey. I, I just caught that just preparing for this message. He doesn't say children and parents make your children obey. Now, the responsibility of, of, on the parent is to teach order and the fact that they should obey. When we speak to our kids, we do this as a church. That's why we do family worship Sundays, which, by the way, we're doing next week. And we're going to get to hear about what God is doing in their lives. But when we declare over our children, you're the church of today, not the church of tomorrow, that you have value now, not just in the future, that God has a call on your life now, that we are speaking order, we're speaking life, and we're speaking responsibility. Love that Trinity stood up here this morning and, not, and wasn't just a part of the worship team. She actually led, and she did an awesome job. When you see her, man, hug on that girl, give her a high five, tell what we're, we're communicating that you have a place and we expect big things from you. Paul says, children, obey your parents. Obey your parents. Why? Because it's the orderly thing to do. And when children don't obey their parents, there is no peace in the home. Can I get an amen? There is no peace in the home. It doesn't matter if they're 2 or 18 17 and a half. When children don't obey their parents, there is no peace and there is no blessing. It is a responsibility of children to obey their parents. But it is the responsibility of parents to train their children. And so it goes hand in hand. Can I just affirm you this morning and encourage you? Children do not rule the home. God never says that children are the head of the home. And in our world, in our culture today, you would think very differently. You would think very differently. Children do not rule the home. I want to lovingly encourage you as parents, grandparents, uncles, aunties, friends of people who have kids. Children do not rule the home. And when we allow them to, things are set out of order. 
And we have to ensure that we function in the authority that God has given us to take that stand and say, and it's not, listen, it's not like kids are so smart that they can get around us. It's that we give it up. That we give up the authority and we let them. And we have to take a stand as, as parents, as adults, and say, no, no, you don't have that place. You don't get to sing, set things out of order in this home. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. The responsibility of a father to train, to make sure that his household is being led in the ways of the Lord. He doesn't say fathers and mothers because there is an order to the home. And God says the husband the Father is the head of the home in the same way that the, uh, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Fathers, we exa- exasperate and frustrate our children and our wives when we don't lead our, our families well, when we don't lead and train our families in the ways of the Lord, that our marriages will suffer, that our children will, will suffer. This is a word for the men in of our, ch- in of our, of our church. Guys, I'm speaking to you. If you're letting someone else step in, or if you're just ignoring your responsibility, it's time for you to step it up. Because no one else can step into the role, into the gap that you're filling. Church in America for decades now, the church in America, the homes in America, the Christian homes in America, the Christian men in America have stepped back and said, you know what, it's the role of the woman to train the child. And that is not what God's word says. If we want to know why we're in the predicament we're in as a nation and as the church today, we have to rewind 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years and find that place where men said, you know what, you can do it. I'm going to just work my job and watch football on the weekends. If you want to go to church, that's fine by you. This isn't in my notes, but man, it sparked something in me. The reason that we are where we are is because years ago, the church stopped saying to, to, to men, pastors stopped shepherding men in such a way to say, listen, buddy, you don't get to neglect your marriage and your family. Don't frustrate your family by ignoring the things of the Lord in your home. Guys, it's time for us to step it up. It's time for us to restore order to our home why because order releases blessing psalm 33 how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity it is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard running down on aaron's beard down upon the collar of his robes as if it were the dew of hermon falling on mount zion for the for there the lord bestows his blessing even life Evermore. In unity and order comes blessing. But it doesn't happen by accident. So here's your homework. Here's your homework assignment for your home this week, for your life group's time this week. Take a real honest look at your life, your marriage, your home, your children, and ask yourself what's out of order that should be in order. And then don't just identify it. 
do something. What I'm not saying is come back next week and report how you now have a perfect home. Not going to happen. And don't set that kind of bar for yourself because you will be frustrated. But go about the work and figuring out what's out of order and start putting those things back in order. Back in order. Back in order. Back in order. It's not an easy job. It's not an easy thing to do. But we must. Why? Because God is a God of order. And we cannot look more like Jesus when we're just living however we want. You want to experience an overcoming home? Do you want to see victory in your home? Let's get back to order. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. You know, one of the things I've learned as a parent, sometimes I have to tell my kids and give my, thing, my kids things that they need, not what they want. Sometimes I feel like that as a pastor. Lord, can I just preach an easy message sometime? But, but easy messages, light messages... Not preaching the word of God does not lead to transformation. It leads to people feeling like, I'm okay. My hope is that you never feel leave this place feeling like, you know what, everything about me is just great. That this is the place where we're supposed to be challenged in a loving way. I hope you feel the love of the Lord in this place. I love you. God says those he loves, he corrects. I love you as your pastor. I love you. And because I love you, I want to see you walk in victory. I want to see you overcome in your marriage, in your home, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your parenting. I want to see that take place. I want us to be a church that celebrates, that celebrates and rejoices in what God has done, how he's brought restoration to those things that are out of order. And church, he can do it. And that will be our witness. Father God, this morning, I pray that you would set in order the things that are out of order. Lord, there might be places in our lives we don't even realize are out of order. You know. And so I pray that we would call on that wisdom that comes from heaven, not from our own thinking. Because really that's not wisdom at all. Give us the wisdom from on high and the eyes to see the places that need correction, the things in our lives that need to be restored to order. Just like a judge would sit in a a courtroom and say, order, order. With that authority, Lord, we call to order the things that are out of order in our homes and in our marriages this morning. We declare over this church today, Lord, I speak life over this church and say that the enemy has no place to mess and meddle. God, would you set a hedge of protection around our homes, around our marriages, around our families, that we would stand strong in the midst of the seas that are raging. Just as Jesus stood in that boat and spoke to the storm and said, be still. 
and he restored order to what was out of order. Lord, I speak to the storms in lives and in marriages today and in homes today, and I declare, be still in the name of Jesus. Waves quiet down. I pray children, Lord, would be restored to order and would walk in obedience to their, chil- to their parents. Lord, I pray that wives would understand their role with their husband and that husbands would stand in a place of authority and love as you've called them to. Transform us, Lord God. People, as a church, as families, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Jesus name amen our worship i mean our prayer team